I swear. Wrestling Podcast. Excellent. All right. Big thanks to Tony for our new intro. What do you think? I liked it. It's certainly um, better than nothing. So it's, thank it's, you, Tony. It's definitely the best one that we've got. So yeah. The only one we've got. It's the only one we've got. So you can still send yours in if you want. It's up to you. But it would be nice if we could have lots of different ones to choose from, really. And if anything, it just give us something to do to pass the time in the week listening to some wonderful jingles. But at least someone was listening and someone answered. So thank you very much, Tony. And welcome, everyone, to episode episode number five of the A-Squared Circle Wrestling Podcast. Can you believe we've made it this far? <laughs> I actually can't. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought it'd be a uh, maybe a, a week thing. A one and done, yeah. But, but we're here week five, and I'm actually under the weather. So we're recording this well, a little, so bit, am I, but I'm little not bit early. I'm not moaning about it, am I? No, I'm going to moan about it for probably the next 45 minutes. But yeah, I'd apologise if my voice sounds a little bit nasally. You're still with us, though, and that's yep. all that counts. <laughs> still alive. And uh, and this should probably be the most, uh, should we say, that this episode should sound the nicest out of all the episodes we've done because we're recording it in a nice controlled environment, um, that being my my office forward slash dining room. <laughs> Forward slash mess room. Um, forward slash Christmas present uh, container. A little present for Brandon there. When you're old enough to appreciate it, uh, you'll be able to listen back to that and see your name checked. No, we got a re- when, got a when we're got famous. Yeah. Um, but um, we, yeah, we might get disrupted by my dog Simba. Um, he's a lovely dog. Unfortunately, though, he's a he's a lovely dog to anyone except for the people he doesn't know. Yeah. As evidenced by the poor delivery driver who looks scared to death. <laughs> when he, he, was, the he was. <laughs> For anyone who knows Simba, who's met Simba, who and who Simba is not familiar with, you'll know exactly the kind of behaviour I'm talking about. So, there you <laughs> he's go. a lovely dog, though. He's good if you if you know him. Yeah, he's a lovely dog. <laughs> anyway, this week, Andy. So, um, we're going to start by talking about our weekend. Yeah, we had a good weekend, didn't we? It was all right. I think it was a as far as as far as weekends go, it was all right. Success all round. So Saturday was a success. Sunday was a success. We we spent. Two days together, didn't we? We did. And yeah. uh, the first day was this Saturday. Uh, we had the the Revolution Pro Wrestling Contenders Show um, from the Buckland Community Centre. As I said last week, it's a, a great opportunity for some of the people of the Portsmouth School of Wrestling um, to wrestle in front of the crowd um, and put on a very high quality show. And it was a it was a real good night of action. Um, and it wasn't without its dramas on the way there, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. Um, but, Andy, it was a very special night for you, wasn't it? It was a special night for me, Andy, because I got reunited with my very best friend, my very best wrestling tag team partner okay, I've we ever had. We, we don't want the, the, the Andy and James podcast, so don't go too over the I top. Could talk, I could talk 45 minutes about James. So, yes, uh, we, we had a few switch arounds. We had a couple of people drop out of the show. So, um, I just suggested I call James Ty up. And see what he was going to be doing. Just out the blue. Pluck that name out <coughs> the blue. Yeah, James Tight. It was uh, something I've always been storing for a while and been hoping for for a while. An opportunity presented itself. So I text James and I said, you're probably not going to want to do it, James. But we've got a show at the Buckland Community Centre uh, on December the 2nd. Would you be interested in coming back and doing one more match in a tag team with me? Three hours of dead air. 
And I, I bet you were like uh, someone texting a girl, weren't you? Like checking your phone uh, every five yeah. minutes. Oh, God. And they're like, oh, no, I'm just going to put my phone in the other room now. And, and That's what you do, isn't it? You ca- a watch phone never beeps. So uh, I left it and I, I, it did occur to me, he's probably waiting for his wife to get home. So uh, we could ask permission. Ask permission, which I have to do. Uh, you'll deny it, but you probably have to do. I don't. No, of course. So um, so anyway, uh, he texted me back and said, he said, yeah, that sounds like really good fun, actually. So it was myself and James Ty, the Iron Lions, back together after probably at least seven or eight years together. Um, and we took on the tag team of the Estonian Animal Timo and Buff Daddy Johnny Rocket. And what a main event it was. The three parts of that main event were tremendous. <laughs> oh, don't worry, he's not listening. <laughs> He'll pretend <laughs> he is, but uh, um, yeah... It was a, uh, it was good, wasn't it? And, and one thing I will say about James is he hasn't really missed a beat, has he? It's a bit, it's a bit scary to think he hadn't wrestled. I mean, last time he wrestled, I think that was for us as well, right? But it was again, it was after a lengthy absence. But he's not wrestled for three years, right? Yeah, he's done a couple of Bucklands before, isn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, but like he's not wrestled for three years, and like even the time before that, he was only wrestling sporadically. Um, I think his last real run. Um, was probably you say maybe that thing for me for against Joel Redman with joining the Thrillers maybe 2010 11 time. Yeah, that sounds. So that's right. probably his last real run mm-hmm. as, as a wrestler, and and all these years later. He came down training didn't he? Uh, he last Wednesday, so about a week yeah. ago, about ten days ago actually, and uh, he ran to through some uh, different bits with uh, Louis, and uh, he looked like as you said he hadn't missed a beat at all. So. Um, it's scary to think what that man could have accomplished had he not lost heart with it. Absolutely. And uh, and I think you said earlier when we were discussing him, he kind of got into wrestling, or not, he never got in, he got out of wrestling just at the wrong time. Yes. Um, just when really he was on the cusp of something, that's when he got out of it. Um, and, and I think that ties in a little bit with what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Um, because we are going to discuss today Broken promises, broken dreams. And, uh, and th- th- that is another subject that, that we could do five or six episodes on, but we'll go from the top, shall we? And, we'll, uh, and, and before b- before, we, before we get there for that for that topic, there's a couple of things I want to ask. So first of all, Andy, last week you were going to tell us a macho man story. You said at the top of the episodes, you were like, oh, I've got a macho man story to, to tell. Um, okay, okay. Uh, well, I only met Match Man once, so I'm assuming this is going to be it. Um, but the specifics of it, because it was so long ago, the f- specifics of it have slipped my mind. But the gist of it is this. In 2003, Mark Sloan was asked to provide a wrestling ring for uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, Anton, Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway. But what was interesting about it was they were obviously filming it in London, but it was taped as if it was taped in America. So I've never, ever watched an episode of Saturday Night's Takeaway, but the gist of it I get is this. they One of the segments of the show is they get someone to live out their dream. Have you ever seen it? I, I've seen it, Anton Deck's Saturday Night, night Takeaway. It's, it's brilliant Saturday Night TV. It's throwback TV, I would say. It uh, reminds me of a TV I grew up on. Uh, Very much like a, a Noel's House Party type TV show. Right, so so this was 2003, so we're talking nearly 15 years ago. So It's still going now, Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway, yeah. Okay, so... Um, and that Saturday Night Takeaway, USA, they're filming it as a pilot for the um, to, to try and pitch it to some American stations. And one of this... Oh, so this was a pilot for... It, this wasn't a... This no. Was, 
It was okay. never to be aired in England. Okay. It was just so, purely so, to so be aired. So there's no video evidence of this story you're about no. to make up? No. <laughs> okay. No, no. Just check him. No. So um, so Mark Sloan was asked to provide the ring. He asked me and James if we wanted to go along to um, to help with the ring, basically. And we knew Matchman was going to be there. And like we discussed last week, us both being 1990s WWF kids, to work alongside Matchman in any capacity blew our minds so we were so excited and it's nice that James Ty is tied back into this as well so. that's right yeah James was there yeah totally so um, so we went there we set the ring up and they were doing a bit with this guy called Tom and Tom was American and I think the story was real he did actually want to be American he wanted to be American <laughs> he was American but he actually wanted to be a wrestler so they flew him over to England and they did a bit of training with the macho man um, and James Parr took as the referee from the skit and uh, Matcha Man clotheslined James, which I was ever so happy for James, but absolutely devastated it wasn't me. And Matcha Man's exact words for J- James reminded me of this the other day, actually. He said, you're a natural brother, like, except that's Hulk Hogan, but I've got a cold. So forgive <laughs> <laughs> my, my impressions aren't that good today. But anyway, uh, so there's numerous other people there. I can remember uh, the specific point I was making about them uh, taping it in England, but making out it was filmed in America. They, hear, they had a whole load of cheerleaders there um, two Americans who were interviewed on camera, and obviously they spoke as if, you know, with the American accent, being from America, but all the other cheerleaders were English. So it was a real interesting um, education onto how television worked at the time. Um, and anyway, Kelly Osborne was there as well. She was doing a skit, a skit with, the, um, with, the, uh, w- w- with the show, and we are all stood in it. She was sat in the ring, and... I was, Matcha Man was stood not half a foot away from me, directly in front of me. And this is where it becomes a bit of a non-story that I cannot remember what I said. <laughs> but whatever joke I made, Matcha Man looked, after his shol- looked over his left shoulder, and I'll remember this for the rest of my life, he went, <laughs> like that. So that was my uh, one and only memory of well, meeting the Matcha Man, Randy Savage. That's absolutely lovely. And, uh, it would have been better had I remembered the joke. Well, it absolutely would have been, especially if, if the joke was rubbish. <laughs> probably, yeah. At the, a joke at the expense of Kelly Osborne. She's probably not forgotten that joke, has she? We well, should probably uh, try, and, try and get hold of her and find out. <laughs> she might remember, yeah. She's hated you since that day. Yeah. Maybe that was a catalyst behind that dramatic weight loss she went under. Maybe I don't think it was a fat that. joke. I'd, but it, it might have been. Could have been. It could have been, I don't know. I've, yeah, I've, you at that time, you were horrible, weren't you? I was 19 you, so. years old, so Could have been, could have been. Um, so, wow so that is my match man story well, I'm, I'm glad we managed to get that out because I listened back to the episode and we basically made a big point at, at the top of the episode of saying we will not we will not start stories that we don't finish and you promised that macho man story yeah. and I said oh you didn't actually tell us that macho man story so there it was so it follows on nicely from James's big comeback um, but obviously a callback to last week when we were talking about big WWF fans that we were in the 1990s. Yeah, so. that, and that's what you get with this podcast. It's episodic. It, it all makes sense. It's layered, if anything. You listen yeah. back to the episodes of the podcast and you'll gain more and more out of them each time you listen to them. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to uh, just jump in and uh, just before I forget, and this is it's all over the place today, but I'd like to just uh, illustrate once again what a stupidly chaotic, uh, ill-prepared life that we lead and uh, how um, everything may look like a well-oiled machine, um, but it really isn't. And um, I, so I'd like to say about this, this Saturday um, when we were going to Buckland Community Centre. So we, we ran a referee training seminar as well, didn't we, on, um, on Friday and Saturday at the Portsmouth School of Wrestling. Um, and, uh, and I came down on uh, on Saturday morning and uh, you were stood alongside 
Tommy Stevens, one of the uh, one of the people who were taking part in the training. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he um, might as well paid his twenty five quid, really. Uh, I'm only joking, Tommy. I'm only joking. I owe you. Um, uh, but we, uh, you were stood alongside him, and I said to you, oh, um, what time are you picking up the van? Because to 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 add a bit of a, a background to the story, we we hire out our wrestling rings as well, don't we? Um, and we had a we had a ring hire job for uh, Riptide Wrestling. And um, one thing we always do is we always honour a booking. So it doesn't matter if we run other shows or whether um, you know something else comes up. We'll always make sure that you know if you if you put the date down in the diary, you've got it in first. You'll always get the ring. It's, it's a very reliable service. Um, and if you're interested, let us know. We're, we'll hire you a, a wrestling ring. And uh, if anything, like if the, the weirds of a situation we have to hire rings for, the more stories we've got to tell for the podcast. So um, everyone's a winner. Um, but we obviously had the two shows going on, but we've only got one van. So traditionally, when that happens, we'd we'd hire. We've got loads of rings, so we'd, traditionally we'd hire a van. Um, so I said to you, I was like, Andy, what what time are you uh, what time are you get in the van? And Andy said, We're not. I was like, What? I'm a logistics man. See, I'd worked out, I'd worked out, except for one one major one, point. Yeah, yeah I thought you were going to say a minor point <laughs> just then. I'd worked out that we could deliver the ring to the venue, which is about 10 minutes from our training school, come back, load up the other ring. Dan McGee, who uh, is a hell of a soldier, he would drive that down to uh, Brighton for Riptide, come back, and then we collect the ring from Buckland. Well, that, that wasn't really part of the comeback, and then we collect the ring from Buckland, was it? I said to you, well... Okay, that's that's all well and good, but how how are we going to get the ring back from Buckland? And you said, and I said, um, I can't remember what I said, but all I remember thinking was like, <laughs> oh no, that has <laughs> entered the equation. And then we hadn't asked permission from Buckland to see if we could store it there overnight, and uh, and it was like I I always say like it, it was kind of like um, the Apprentice. The whole day was like the Apprentice, and we and we'll get into why. So. We eventually, we just had to go with it, right? Because I called up a couple of van places. I went across the road to another van place. And no one had any vans available. So it was almost like life had dealt us those cards and we had to play with them. Um, and uh, I thought, I'd, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was going to spectacularly backfire. But you'd nobly said, Andy, hadn't you? You said, I will sit outside with that ring until the van comes back from Brighton and yeah. whatever. So whether or not you would have done, I don't know. Or you have I'd have done what I had to, to take to make because because our priority because uh, we know how stressful it is relying on other people to turn up whether it's a ring whether it's wrestlers whether it's anyone because uh, we realised how stressful our, my priority really was to make sure Riptide got their ring rather you know I wanted them to have a ring before we had a ring so I so yeah and, uh, and and that's a big part of it isn't it you know when you hire a ring you need to know it's going to be there you need to know it's going to turn up and be reliable and. Uh, and I think that's kind of very much our our nature. We'll always make a show. We'll always make a book in. Um, there's no no excuses. So, you know, see hear too many times about people not making a show because they were stuck in traffic or because the trains got cancelled or because they broke down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and like I think our mentality has always been: it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, if you get that if you get that book in, you're there. You know, um, and the same goes for our rings. So you can hire them with confidence. Um, but meanwhile, so we, we unloaded the ring in Buckland, right? That's it. So I drove the van down to Buckland. 
uh, earlier than normal. I spoke to the lady at reception. It was very nice. She uh, very accommodating. Not that she's listening to this, but she's very accommodating and very nice. She said, yeah, you can unload the ring. Just leave it in the corridor. Um, and then you can come back later on to uh, to build. So I had a team team there, and we all, we all unloaded the ring. We unloaded it within 10 minutes. And Dan McGee uh, took the van back to the training school. I stuck around at Buckland. I met up with Dan the Hammerhead, um, who's also on a bit of a comeback trail. Uh, we potted around for a bit and we thought we'd come back sort well, of... So you had a nice little jolly while I took training, I see. Well, we went off and I think we got a couple of Red Bulls yeah, and that was about it. comes out now, doesn't it? Yeah, we were sat around basically just making sure no one stole our really expensive wrestling ring because we know what Buckland can be like, don't we? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Buckland is a very uh, is a very nice place, in a nice area in Portsmouth. So, uh, yeah, so I popped out, came back mid-afternoon uh, to start doing the ring. Then I get a phone call from Dan McGee and he almost says it, with glee he says Andy we've got a problem <laughs> anytime as I lad as well like anytime the phone rings and it's Dan McGee you're like oh, especially if he's on a job but if he's going yeah. somewhere to do it I'm like this is never and he's, he's a grass as well isn't he so like <laughs> you know you, you know if something happens you're not you're not going to get covered like Dan's like straight up he's a grass he's going to grass you up that's it we're yeah. going to know within seconds yeah so uh so Dan says we've got a problem, and then you were actually there, so you can I, take it from I here. Was <laughs> this is like, uh, so uh, what happened? So we took the ring off, and uh, we took the everything was coming off the ring, um, and uh, and it turns out that where where the rings up, um, we hadn't noticed a part of the ring had actually snapped. So it was uh, the side of it, one of the steel joints had snapped off. Um, now traditionally. Um, what you find when the rings break, what normally breaks is at the join where the, the pieces slot into. And when that happens, there's a big padonk and the ring kind of, this one side of the ring kind of hits the floor. It looks like boards are snapped everywhere. It's, uh, you know, and the rings aren't workable. But the nature of this snap is the piece was rested on it and where everything was tied down. No one had even noticed the ring was broken and you wouldn't have noticed the ring was broken until... You uh, went to take the piece out of the slot, and you realised the the bottom of the ring, <laughs> the bottom of the, the the piece of steel, wasn't there. So, obviously, that ring's supposed to be going to Riptide, and uh, it should have left about five, well, half an hour earlier, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, panic sets in. We have to come up with a few different scenarios. Meanwhile, I'm running. We're very lucky in the sense that our um, our our wrestling school's essentially on a uh, it's an industrial estate but it's essentially a mechanics yard isn't it yeah so um i'm running around normally we've got uh we've got a normal guy who's also called andy actually and it, he uh good name a cubed would be so our name if you wanted to come well on no, the podcast well no because it's four's a cube isn't it no but i think it's still cubed what three 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 a's I think, so. cubed, I think so. Okay, well. I don't know. I, I know. I well, know. Nice <laughs> I might not be right, actually. I was going to say, it's <laughs> nice that you're educating me and we know about your GCSEs or lack of them. Um, and anyway, Andy wasn't in. So um, I, that leads us running around all these different places. And then um, we're coming up, we're trying to come up with backup plans. And then eventually a guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can do that. That's all right. Yeah, we'll do that for you. Um, it only takes like 10 minutes to, to weld the piece on weld the piece back on and it, it turns out that it was some shoddy welding work to begin with which is why we keep finding ourselves in these situations um we, we've got a very good welder called bob who reinforced the ring for us didn't he and bob royal and uh, bob royal that's right and he, he's told us he said like 
you know, he's he's going to be long gone before our um, before our ring's broken. So yeah, lifetime we, guarantee. I think lifetime guarantee. So yeah. I shouldn't say this, but I can give you a lifetime and, guarantee. Uh, and he actually built the the football stands for Haven't and Waterlooville. Hmm. So that's why when I book matches like Keith Lee versus Dave Mastiff, I'm kind of I'm still touching woods and I'm still keeping my fingers and toes crossed. But I know that it's going to be fine because Bob the Welder told me it would be. So um, if you're listening, Bob Royal, thank you very much. Um, and anyway, this guy, he says he can fix this ring. Um, and then <laughs> we go to get the piece. And just before we come back, he's like, oh, actually, mate, um, the guy's mum's not well. He's got to go home. The guy who's going to do it, he's got to go home. Can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, oh. So the thought then goes to we're going to need to take, and like I say, we've got several rings. So we're going to need to take another ring to the, the the venue now the easiest most accessible one would have been our um 18 foot ring um or my 18 foot ring but i would have taken one for the team here um and uh and let that go out but then we realized we don't have a uh a canvas for it first of all and we know that we didn't want to put the red pro canvas on because we know about riptide's reputation with <laughs> ripping canvases and we didn't have a plain canvas and um we then realised it probably wouldn't fit their venue. So we then decided probably the best option would be to take the 15-foot ring we have in our school, take that to Buckland, and then load back the 16-foot ring back on the van and take that down to Riptide. While this was all going on, um, the guy comes back round. He's like, oh, actually, I found someone else who can do this piece of piece the ring. So long story short, the guy does the ring and Dan McGee sets off to do the ring. Then we're sat. Then the training session ends. We go to Buckland, get everything set up. Everything's looking great at Buckland, and uh, we're sat there, and we get a phone call. And who rings the phone? Uh, I answer it. It's Dan McGee. He says, "Andy, we've forgotten something important." I said, "What is it now?" He said, "The ring skirts." So, what do we do, Andy? We take the ring skirts off the white because. The point is, we have got multiple sets of ring skirts, but I just I could see ring skirts in front of me. So we could we do have another set at the training school. But I thought, right, no, even if we have to go without ring skirts, let's get those ring skirts off the ring, put them in a bag, send them off with another lad who drove them all the way down to Brighton. So they had their ring skirts. And then meanwhile, I sent someone else, I don't know if we should name them or not, to uh, <laughs> back to our wrestling school to pick up the ring skirts. And the last thing I said to this person was, Make sure you count the ring skirts when you put them on the uh, on the ring, and uh, when you put them when you take put them in the car. So that person then took the ring skirts, and rather than put them straight on the ring, they they were just left at the side, weren't they? Yes. And then it got to about ten minutes before doors opening. It's like, oh, we need to get the the skirts on the ring, and um, so they put the skirts on, and then no one tells me, and we're out to open doors. Someone's like, actually, I'll do the impression. Someone's like, Andy, we. We only have three ring skirts. Where's the other skirt? And I was like, mate, I don't know. I asked a person to count them. Go and ask that person. And anyway, it turns out that that person forgot on the fourth skirt. And it was too late. So we had a ring with three skirts. Which is probably the first time I think I've ever wrestled on a show with only three skirts on it. Ever. There's always, always four skirts. Shame. But, but there the you go. The shame of it all. The I shame know. of it all. Humiliating. So we apologise to anyone who's in attendance at the Buckland Community Centre. Um... 
you I feel like you well you didn't get half a show did you you still got the full show but it may have been marred a little by the fact there was only three ring skirts <laughs> yeah but yeah Marty texts me the following day going why was there only three ring skirts oh he would wouldn't he how would he, how would he even I bet know? he was angry as well wasn't he Fuming from America or something like. uh, no I think Newcastle oh okay <laughs> yeah but uh, nevertheless, he noticed. So Dave Neal, who was sat that side of the ring, the bodybuilder from who runs Fratton Gym, he'd have noticed. So, so. not good form, eh? No, nope. not good form at all. But, but nevertheless, we, we got through the show, didn't we? And, and we won the task, didn't we, Andy? We did, so and we were not fired. So I always say we like The Apprentice a lot. This is good. I recommend everyone watches it. Entrepreneurial spirit. One of our friends, Ricky Hype, Ricky Martin. He was the. Uh, he was a winner of one of a series of The Apprentices, wasn't he? He was. Um, and we all like to think that we could win The Apprentice if we decided to enter the episode. But on this particular episode, they'd be playing the video footage of me asking Andy where the, uh, where the van is or when he's going to get the van. And Andy looking blank-faced. And then that moment of realisation setting in of we don't actually know how we're going to get the ring back, etc., etc. Um, and we'd be thinking, oh, he's going to take him back into a boardroom and he's going to get fired. But we would have won the task. We wouldn't have even through. lost the task. Exactly. Let alone getting fired. We would have won, the, we task. Would have won yeah. the task. So it was a non-question. It was almost a tease. It was a <coughs> yeah. It was just thrown in there, just a, a bit of a curveball. Um, so someone from the other team would have been fired. Um, but we won. Good. So <laughs> there, <laughs> there we, we go. go. We don't need to worry. <laughs> so halfway through the podcast, and we can uh, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, can get back into to, it. Back to topic. So back, um, back to schedule programming. Yeah. So. Um, so, so, so we started talking about James, didn't we? Because we talked about broken promises and broken dreams and all this, um, all the things that me and you, especially as young men, young kids, really, what we were promised. Um, but sometimes, like we thought of examples, haven't we? Sometimes promise isn't the right word, but thing people have said to us numerous times: "Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, this is going to happen. You're going to earn this much money." And then here we are, <laughs> still living in Portsmouth. You know, not millionaires. Soon to be, though, with this podcast, if it keeps yeah. going the way it's going. That's true. Yeah, maybe um, we'll be millionaires through sitting on, sitting, talking to each other. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick start. I okay. Because I, I would like to talk about these are these are kind of just a couple of little promises, and one I'll tell you about, and one you can tell us about. Um, so again, tying in with last week. Um, so one PW, we've obviously spoken about one PW. There's a whole episode on it, episode number two, I believe. If you go back and listen to it, if you haven't already. Um, 1PW were a promotion which, if they promised stuff, you would expect them to deliver because at the time they were like the biggest promotion like that we had seen in the UK. And it, no matter how many times people said the bubble's about to burst on this, it seemingly just kept going, right? And we both had positions there, um, fairly good positions there, um, and, and had great relationships with um, with Steve Carino, who was a booker, um, Stephen Gauntley uh, and his wife. Was it Rosie, his wife? Yeah, I think it was possibly. Rosie, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we were, had great relationships with all of those guys um, and, and we'd obviously be promised stuff. And a lot of stuff did happen that they said would happen. Um, but one thing that I personally was promised, which I was looking forward to more than anything in the world, um, was a brand new referee shirt. Which might seem trivial to anyone who's not a referee. <laughs> yeah, it might. Yeah, but, <laughs> but to have a... Uh, uh, anyone can, especially now, but back then, it, you could still buy a referee shirt, plain black. But to have one with the one PW logo on it, they actually told me it was going to feature the Union Jack okay. and the one PW logo on. Right, um, those were proud moments. So it would have been had it happened. <laughs> it would have yeah. been every month. I was promised, oh, we're getting these new referee shirts. We've seen the designs. It never happens. Yeah. So maybe, maybe one PW, if you're listening. 
maybe if you'd sorted out those referee shirts, things would have gone a bit differently. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, you could have saved the company on your own. And, and so whilst I was getting promised uh, these referee shirts, you were getting promised something else, weren't you, Andy? Well, it relates back to last week when we talk about being WWF kids. Um, the list of opponents, I was doing something there called uh, and, and the Andy... Was it the Andy Simmons Open Challenge or... I don't know. I was you on a losing you, you, streak, you, nevertheless. Was what they? Yeah, they oh, did. Oh, yeah, okay. And they, they, they sold that you were going to become a, a legend killer, right? I think that, that was the ultimate. Was that what it was going to yeah, be? That's what it was going to turn into. Okay, so I was losing month after month, and it was next month you're going to wrestle Raven, next month you're going to wrestle so and so. And, uh, and it, it, these guys never end up being booked. But one of the names who I was particularly excited about, as I said, tying back to last week, was we're going to bring Marty Gennetti over. So, as I said last week, Marty Jannetty is one of my three favourites that are, you know, unfortunately still alive. So uh, I was absolutely buzzing to think I was going to wrestle Marty Jannetty. And uh, and if you can go back onto the record books of the 1PW uh, website, for example, you'll see that Marty Jannetty never made it over and therefore my childhood dreams were crushed. But there is light at the end of every tunnel, isn't there, Andy? There always is in wrestling. So in 2006, I was promised a match with Marty Jannetty uh, through another promoter. In 2017, I thought finally I was going to wrestle Marty Jannetty. Would Be you like to hear this story? Well, yeah, I, w I would. And, uh, and I think that, that it's very fair to say it's, it's very much one of those stories where when you're young and uh, you would like something for Christmas, it, it's out of your control whether you get it or not, right? But when you're a little bit older, you can buy those presents for yourself, you can can't you? Buy whatever you want. So... Uh, <laughs> So we were running the Ports of Guildhall shows together at the time, and Marty Gennetti had put up a Facebook post saying, I'm coming to England in May, I'm looking for bookings. You know, anyone out there who'd like to book me, give me a call. So I sent Marty a message, and, uh, and he told me to get in touch with the chap who's running the Swindon Comic Con, which Swindon Comic Con I never heard of before, so I thought I don't need to really worry about the Swindon Comic Con. So Marty Gennetti had agreed he'd work our show, he would work, uh, do a seminar on the Monday... So the show was on the Sunday, the seminar was on the Monday, um, and I was going to suggest maybe he works the two holiday camps that we had that week as well. So, uh, so basically, you'd, you'd um, written yourself in as Marty Cinetti's best friend for a week. For a week, yeah. If I could have one, one taste of that life that he talks about so often, uh, th that would have been quite special. So, uh, Marty Cinetti. Uh Mike James was actually booked for this trip. I couldn't wait. He was doing the Swindon Comic Con that week. He had a, had near enough a week full of booking. So he's messaging me saying, do you know this guy? This guy wants to use me. Do you know that guy? Uh, you know, he's getting offers from all over the place. It gets more complicated when more people get involved. The more people involved, people think like, oh, we save ourselves some money because the flight split goes down and whatever. But I always think the more people that get involved, the bigger headache it is. And I'd rather pay the cost myself. Um, like I never used to have that mentality at the start. But like now, it's just so much hassle. Well, this, you learn lessons like this, don't you? Because... You know, we, we, we could have given him four days' worth of work. He was going to do the Swindon Comic Con regardless. He was going to have five days of work between two people, essentially. So, uh, and then maybe a month before the show. So, this would be going, these chat had been starting February time. By the end of April, conversation had gone dead. And uh, and I'd send him a message saying, Marty's still coming. One of the promoters in Scotland, I was corresponding with him, saying, have you heard from Marty? He's saying no. Um, and then... We just had to give up in the end, didn't we? It was all over. So that the dream, dream was over. That broken dream is still a broken dream because Marty didn't even didn't obviously didn't come. He didn't do the Swindon Comic Con. He didn't do 
uh, you know, the the seminar, I didn't do the show. So, uh, so Marty Gennetti, if you're listening, uh, we need to make this happen. This uh, He did actually message me about a month later, though, didn't he? Going, oh, man, the guy from the Swindon Comic Con was messing me around. And we know who the guy from the Swindon Comic Con is. So, um, or that particular guy from the Swindon Comic Con. So, we'd rather you hadn't stuck your nose in. But there you go, you did. And uh, that broken dream... Uh, it's still it started still off there. as a promise and <laughs> turned into a broken <laughs> dream, didn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's quite the one, isn't it? That's quite a big one for me, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think people, like, obviously there is a, a real significance to that for a lot of people. Um, like, you might not realise the significance of it, but if you grew up um, with a hero and you get promised a chance to work that hero, then it doesn't matter how many years past their prime it might be, there's still that element of excitement about it and I'm sure that um, many of the workers will be able to tell you about times they promised matches with certain people when it didn't come to fruition for, for someone it might be um, you know working someone who might be uh, looked upon as more of a, a more technically gifted wrestler you know I'm not saying anything, nothing against Marty Gennetti but what I'm saying is for some people the dream might be to have wrestled Shawn Michaels sure and um, and you might be able to look at that and say well, it's not like he had a, he wanted to wrestle short. You know, it's not like he was promised to wrestle Shawn Michaels. It's only Marty Jannetty. But what I'm saying is, for you, for a huge wrestling fan, well, it's for very someone subjective, who's one isn't of your, it? Absolutely, your favorite it is very subjective. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to, you know, um, I'm trying to empathise with you, Andy. Thank I'm you. trying to, I'm trying to, you know, let people know that this is a big deal for you because I can see the tears rolling down your cheeks. I'm still and No one else can, and that's the beauty of the podcast. So no one can see you crying. It's just snot. So I'm run okay, cool. Yeah. It's snot. Must be snot. Um, yeah, so there we go. There's a there's an empty promise, uh, broken promise. Um, so I think we've got time for a couple more. Um, shall I have a go? Yeah, go on. You, you we go, we go it, back yeah. and forth like a game of tennis, shall we? Okay. Um, so I'm trying to think which was, which is the best one to tell. Um, let's tell this one. So I used to work for a wrestling promotion called NWE, New Wrestling Evolution, um, and. For those of you who haven't heard of them, they were a promotion. They started off in Italy, they an Italian promotion, um, but somewhere in around, I'm going to say around, two. would you say 2008? Was it 2007, 2008? Yeah. Maybe 2009? Um, I'd say around somewhere around 2008, they got like a real, a real bit of steam behind them. Um, but I believe even earlier than that, they were using Oh, yeah, so, so, so really early, they they had a great, deal of success in Italy. Now, I wasn't really involved in Italy um, until the very last show of the first lot of shows they did in Italy, um, which you were on as well. And I think we should definitely save that story for that's another one, podcast because yeah. that's a story which isn't about broken promises, but it might be about broken dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I was working for them as a referee. Um, and the first show we did in, so the, we did a show in Naples and it was terrible. Um, and then we we started doing shows in Spain, um, and the, the shows in Spain we literally the first show was a fifteen thousand seat arena in Madrid, sold out, and that was a comeback of the comeback angle of the Ultimate Warrior, um, which again is some, something we can talk about in a little bit more detail in the future. Um, but that's to just give you a a bit of insight into how big it was, um, and these shows were were being filmed for TV. Now, anyone who went to the first show, it was. The, the, that first show in Madrid was pretty rotten. Um, you know, it's uh, 
to give you an example, the ring was rinky-dink. Like, considering the size of the arena, you know, this was like a British wrestling ring that that I'd seen in some of the first shows I went to, where, where Southend was probably the, or the venue that I was going to watch a show at was probably the B-town or the C-town of that day, you know, the third or fourth show, you know, send the crap ring to Southend, you know what I mean? <laughs> Something like that. That's what the ring was like. It was literally falling to pieces. Um, one of the big mistakes they made um, was that they'd tightened it all up the night before, and of course overnight, the tent, like when they did rehearsals and the tension went overnight, and rather than undo it and start again, they just kept tightening and tightening and tightening until they could tighten no further. The ropes were like Memphis, you know, like when you see the ropes just shaking up and down. Yeah. So that was one of the big issues, especially when the high spot of a show was Ultimate Warrior shaking the ropes, you know. <laughs> so when that happens, you want to have uh, have some ropes which, you know, he didn't have to pick up off the ground to shake, really. Um, and the show was pretty rotten. Um, so I was refereeing one of the matches was a, uh, it was a tables match. And I can't remember if it was a triple threat or a singles match, but I know two of the people in the match were Gangrel and Savio Vega. And I want to say it was a triple threat match. I want to say there was a third person in the match, but I can't remember who it would have been in that match. Um, maybe someone like a Trent... Not, uh, what's his name? One of the backseat boys. Trent Acid. Trent Acid, yeah. I just had Trent Seven in my head. Yeah, Trent Acid. Like, Trent, Trent Acid, yes. And he was one of my favourites at the time as well. He was there. Throwing breadsticks at a midget actually was one of my first memories of was Trent Acid. Yeah, like a hell of a guy. Uh, he's, yeah, he's not with us anymore, but he was a. Uh, but I think he may have been in that um, in that match. Um, but it, either way, Savio Vega and Gangrel were definitely in this match, and there was a spot in the match, like Savio Vega, wrestling veteran, wrestling veteran. He's done a lot, right? Yeah. Puerto Rico, WWF, Quang, like Quang, yeah. Razor Ramon's best friend, <laughs> you know. Nation of Domination, Los Boricuas. Everything. He's been around. Right. So, Savio Vega says to me, hey, Andy, come over here. There's a spot in this match. He's like, what's going to happen is I'm going to roll him up. I want you to count one, two, and then he's going to get up, get in your face, and blah, blah, blah. And it was a simple spot. However, there was one glaringly obvious thing pointing out, to me at least, in that match. Could you think what it may be? I know exactly what it is, yep, but go on. It's a tables match. And the only way you can win a tables match is... By going through a table. Not counting to three. There you go. So, Savio Vega's telling me to count to three. And I'm like, um, why would I count to three? It's, uh, it's, uh, why would I, why would I, why would I count? It's a tables match. He's like, it's, it's a spot. <laughs> I'm like, but it's a tables match. He's like, listen, it's just the spot. Right, and he's almost getting angry at me for questioning him, and like, I'm just like, so you definitely want me to count, even though even if I were to count to three, it'd be inconsequential to the match, and the only way you can win the match is going through. It's a spot. All right, it's a spot. Okay, cool. Right. So at this stage in my in my life, I w I was just going to do whatever I was told to do, um, and I I was kind of like almost scared of like, oh, did I almost stand up to Savio Vega then? Um, yeah. And uh, um, and anyway, needless to say, the match happened. That spot happened. One, two, crowd silence. Like, what on earth is going on? What's the referee doing? What's he doing? But it was a spot. I should have just turned around to the crowd and said, it's a spot. Just doing as I was told. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, there were some dreadful matches on this show as well. I remember Big Vito squashing Heidenreich. 
uh, very selfishly before because he was angry about losing, <laughs> <laughs> which anyone who knows Vito can imagine. Um, and anyway, after this show, we went on to do some shows um, in some other arenas. Again, all sold out. All sold out. Huge, huge shows. So we talk about um, ten thousand, five thousand. So, but anything from so that first show was fifteen, <laughs> and it went from fifteen to five thousand seat arenas. All sold out. And it, but it was to the extent. Let me put it in perspective. It was to the extent when we did a six thousand seat arena, it seemed small. Okay, um, which is crazy, right? To think about. And they were all sold out. But um, something else for another day. That they they never went back to the same arena twice. So, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, this was all being recorded for TV. And uh, and it was on a channel called La Sexta in Spain, which is Channel Six. Okay, and oh, uh, good there La Sexta is how they uh, they pronounced it. Um, channel Six, and it was um, primetime TV every Saturday and Sunday. Now we recorded all of these, and then went back on on the road and did some more tours. And there was a time when really we were probably at home. I'd say we probably had like two weeks at home, and then we'd we'd go on tour for 10 days and then go home and you know and it went on like that for a few months um and in one of these tours and i remember it was a big deal because it was rob van damme's first uh first bookings outside wwe um so that was uh, a very big deal really um when you look back at what what time it was um and he was literally just left um and Booker T was on some of the shows as well, and I can't. And I think he must have only just left as well. Would that be yeah, that make sense in the time scale? Um, so, so yeah, like I, I mean, there was some some real big shows. And anyway, um, I think one of the shows he may have still been under contract to WWE because it was a dark match. I think I'd, that may very well have happened. The first show um, that we did, and it was after the Queen Charmel because Charmel was there. So I don't know. If I'm just making all this up. But I don't know. I, it there? seemed it seemed like it. I can say what I want then, can't I? <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, back to the point. We were filming TV, so we get to one of these tours, and the TV show is going to air, and we all watch the TV show together. Now, judging on that first show, the arena was absolutely amazing. But that was about, and the fans were amazing. It looked the dogs bollocks. But that's about the only thing about the show which was amazing. Now, oh, and that show also featured the the best thing ever was uh, how. Uh, how did Orlando Jordan become the NWE champion? Right, go on. It's, it's a, it's, this is a part of wrestling history here. So Romeo Rosselli, uh, one of the was he heartthrobs? Heartthrobs in yeah. uh, in WWE. Um, he was a he was a champion of NWE because they're an Italian promotion, um, and uh, and obviously he's I guess some part of him's Italian. And, uh, yeah, he looks very Italian, doesn't he? Yeah. American Italian. Yeah, yeah. and um, so that's why he was their champion. But they wanted to transition the belt onto Orlando Jordan for this TV series because the big match at the end was Ultimate Warrior versus Orlando Jordan for the NWE Heavyweight Championship. And that was the angle they were setting up on this show. Now, Romeo had just had knee surgery and he was unable to uh, unable to wrestle on this tour. So... He, uh, they decided to fly him over anyway. And Romeo was like, I literally can't do anything. Like, I can't put wrestling gear on. or this big knee brace. I can't, it hurts me to, to move. Like, I literally can't do anything. And they're like, look, just come. We'll still pay you as if you work all the shows. You'll still get your free square meals a day. Um, and the weather's great. You'll have a nice holiday. So just to, to drop the belt, essentially. 
And the way he lost the belt, which we didn't know. So Orlando Jordan on that show just came out as a champion, um, I believe. But then when we watched the TV show back, the way he won the belt, Romeo was lying on the uh, on the, the floor. And it was implied that he'd been beaten up by Orlando's goons, who were... Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to know who they actually were, because they were a couple of Samoan lads uh, who Rikishi... Um, there was something to do with Rikishi, and I, d- I don't think they were the Usos, but they may have been. Um, and when I say that, I'm not like going like, yeah, the Usos did it. It may have been it, or it may have been um, it may have been someone else, but it may have been someone that we know uh, who who may have wound up famous. It could have been Roman Reigns for all I know. And the only reason I say this is because Okada was on a lot of those shows, um, Kazuchika Okada, because he was a young boy from uh, Ultimo Dragons School. Um, and I didn't even realise until I ran a show with Okada, which Rikishi was at, and Silvano, the guy who put it, the one that looked after all the foreign talents, was was there. And he was like, ah, oh, you know, it, and it all the, the penny dropped. Like Okada was like the young young boy on these NWE tours. Um, so I hadn't even realised I'd met like one of the best wrestlers in the world um, at that time. And I guess there was probably plenty of people like that when you look back at all the extras they used to bring in for these shows. Um, so anyway, they'd beaten down on uh, Orlando Jordan or on, on Romeo Rosselli, and and that was what it was implied. Um, but it was just him lying on the floor, and then he still had in his hand the NWE Championship belt. And then all of a sudden, there was a pair of shoes stood on the belt, and the camera panned up, and it's Orlando Jordan stood there in a suit. And he bent down, and he grabbed hold of that championship belt, and Romeo Rosselli tried to hold on to that belt. And in a game of tug of war, Orlando Jordan won, walked out with that belt, and that's how he became the NWE champion. That and history was made. History was made. Okay. And and then he was on a collision course with the Ultimate Warrior. And anyway, so this is a this is a TV show which is being uh, being filmed here. We go back to one of the uh, we were on one of the tours, and um, we all watch a TV show together. And it was it was interesting. It was a boring tour. It was it was an interesting tour. We all watched that, that, but we all watched that pilot together. I mean, we all watched it together. And I remember they played that Vito versus Heidenreich match, and like people were like Vito, come on! Like literally, people were like laughing at the match. It was so bad and so ridiculous. Um, and uh, we all watched it together, and the show was terrible. It was bad, right? But but we were selling out arenas, and it. It felt like we were a part of something huge. So you d- you almost pay a player bl- blind eye to a lot of the stuff that's going on. Um, and anyway, the next night, so we watched a Saturday night show together. The Sunday night we had a um, we had a show at one of the Bull Arenas. Um, and I remember also just while I'm remembering the stories I'm telling on this show, there was like plastic chairs, and Gangrel got hit over the head with a plastic chair. It snapped and split his head open. And I remember Rikishi being fuming because there was only 2,000 people at this show. And he's like, you just got your head, he just got his head split open for 2,000 people, like all angry. And I was like, bloody hell, you should see the things I do in England for 200 people, you know? Um, So that was an eye-opener to myself as well. And then anyway, by the end of that show, they got the, um, we were going home after that show, and they got the, um, they got the ratings in for the first night, which were very good. (laughs) Very, very good, in fact. And I remember the last thing I said to Rikishi on that night before I went home, uh, back to my office job, back to reality, Rishi, Rikishi was like, have you heard about the ratings? And I was like, no. And he's like, you're getting a contract, son, and hugged me. 
hugged me. A lovely hug with Rikishi. You're getting a contract, son. And all your dreams came true. All my dreams. (laughs) They were there. And I remember going back and I was sat on this plane and they said to me as well when they were talking they're like in the in the negotiation part, they were saying like, well, how much do you earn for your real job? We'll match that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I had a real, real job, you know. You had a good job. And a good city, job, yeah. yeah. And they, they've got to match my contract. And it was something like um, you'd get, uh, I want to say you'd get 10 days at home in between each tour. So it'd be like, um, or maybe it was like two... Whatever it was, it was like maybe two weeks off, four weeks on, two weeks off, four weeks on, and you'd be in Spain and, you know, all these... All over Europe. All over Europe, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I was like, this is it, I'm made. I remember sitting on the plane going home thinking, oh, my life has just changed. I can't believe what's happening to me. And then no contract came through. Very much like celebrity wrestling, actually. Um, After the first couple of weeks, um, the ratings declined even further and they wound up going uh, being moved to a Saturday and Sunday morning um, kids show slot but they still sold it like it's a good thing they were like don't worry this is like this product's being aimed at children our main markets are children said like Saturday and Sunday evenings were too late for the kids so we've moved it to Saturday and Sunday mornings so the kids can watch it okay right that was it well, it makes sense, makes but sense. you know, it's a good excuse as well. And we can look back at it in hindsight. Sure. But I was like, but that was still that glimmer of hope you were hanging on to. But then, as it went further, contract talks stopped. Yeah. There was no. Uh, the TV show just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Eventually, Rikishi I never became a celebrity. Rikishi disappeared, and the next tour we did um, was supposed to be a tour where uh, we, was, which again we may talk about in the future, but we we're supposed to do ten shows. We wound up doing three shows and still had to be there the whole time. In France. And in no, that was in Spain. Okay. So that's when the bubble burst. So they did Spain. that to us in France as well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Ten day um, tour. Reduced to three yeah, or four. but this was this was Spain and like and that tour was terrible because I had um I'd only packed shorts and t-shirts. I've only ever been in Spain in the sunshine. It rained every single day. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um, so yeah. So that that was my promise shattered. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So contract talks. While we're on the talk of contract talks, I think one that be people find quite interesting that caused an awful lot of controversy and uh, unrest and displeasure amongst a lot of people was when the FWA relaunched in 2009. <laughs> yes. So yes. so in terms of broken, like this is the biggest load of broken promises I think I've ever been told. So, um, it's, so FWA, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, FWA, at least in my opinion, I'm not saying this wouldn't have happened anyway, but FWA was like the first, was the real forerunner of, well, they used to call themselves New British Wrestling. So it was a step away from the world of sport. It was trying to update itself. Um, it was a, it was an F, uh, an ECW uh, inspired show. So uh, FWA had a, had a good couple of years, then fizzled out. Where essentially lots of mini FWA started popping up in everyone's uh, everyone's <coughs> hometown, <coughs> well, like Orpington, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though. It, yeah, I know. It's it's true. But, we'll, but we'll get into that at another time. Like sure. I, like because I I think I have a lot. I think we need to talk a lot about FWA. Um, and I have a lot that I can add to. I think a lot of people have, have, have said, you know, like, yeah, these people have just copied the FWA model. But the thing with FWA, and this is what you're, you're going to, I'm sure, tell us about the new FWA. But the thing with the, the FWA was they had a hell of a lot of good ideas, but they weren't so good at following those ideas through. 
Um, and they also did a lot for everything they did right. They did so much wrong. Sure. And I think rather than rather than copying what they did right, it was more a case of not making the same mistakes they made, which helped make other people successful. Yeah. So uh, so, so FWA fizzled out after a while. And of course, we we did a big storyline in Orpington, Kent, with IPW beating FWA. Therefore, FWA had to close its doors. And I breathed some life back into FWA for that little storyline. That line. was good fun, yeah. yeah. So uh, we, that was good fun, actually. If you can find any of that stuff on YouTube, um, check it out. If you if you kind of know the characters, you'll you'll understand the relevance. So um, so FWA disappeared off the face of the earth, and all of a sudden there was this. Um, uh, it was quite new at the time. I can't imagine what they do with it now. It'd be far bigger, but a viral campaign. Yeah, but yeah. it is coming. It's coming. It's coming. That was it, and everyone was, "What's coming?" And I don't think I even knew. I knew. Well, maybe I did know because maybe you told me. I, like, but, but we'll get into. Again, yeah, like I think this is a, this is specifically about the contracts, not about sure, the, yes. you know, the promise, not yeah. about what what was coming. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so before long, it, we found out FWA was going to come back, and it was being run by Alex Shane and uh, one of Alex's friends, Tony Sefton. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so Alex called me one day. He said, "We've got this idea for this character. We want you to be part of the new, being like a bit of a bridge between the old FWA and the new FWA. But we don't want you to be the butler anymore. Uh, we're going to call you the all-time great." Andy Boy Simmons, and I said, "Well, actually, I came up with that, by the way. Did I did all time great. Yep, I think I'm I did. A, yeah, yeah. And like I, again, like we'll get involved with, with my involvement on another with a new FWA at a later date. Uh, needless to say, I didn't have much, but the stuff I did have was pretty fucking good. So, so I said, "Well, why don't we call? Why don't I become with the all time great Andrew Simmons? So, you know, I'm a bit older now. Always wanted to be Andrew, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You're a scamp, Andy. You're not always going to be Andy. <laughs> I don't mind now." Um, so the all-time great Andrew Simmons—that was the idea. Um, but there was all, but there was going to be one catch. But Alex wouldn't really talk about it over the phone. I can't remember if, whether he didn't have time or that. Well, basically, the art of a good sales pitch is you—you you don't tell people the price, so you sell them the dream first. So if you ever see like a um, like an expensive watch or uh, the new iPhone, okay, Apple don't come in and say the new iPhone is priced at this amount of money. They say the new iPhone has this feature, this feature, this feature, this feature, this feature, and then at the very bottom you have the price because it, by the time you've been sold all the features, it doesn't matter what the price is. You want it. You want it. Okay. So you you were sold. So that I dream. was sold. I was sold the dream. Um, and uh, I met up with Alex. We myself, Martin Stone, no, myself, Leroy Kincaid, and Mark Haskins filmed an episode of Guinness World Records. You're welcome, again. And uh, so after that, Alex agreed to meet me, Mark Haskins, and the lad we mentioned earlier, funnily enough, he just came along for the ride, Tommy Stevens, who's referee. He was uh, hoping for a contract. <laughs> which he did get used, though, I think. So anyway, uh, so we met up with Alex, and Alex said, um, oh, let, let's think of some of these promises. I should have written down. So one of them was uh, free protein. So if you're a sort of dedicated wrestler, stroke weightlifter, um, Protein is expensive. You know, these protein powders, these meal replacement powders, they're, powder, they're, they're expensive. So it was um, free protein, uh, insurance, which was a massive one because I always had it, but a lot of the boys didn't have insurance. So um, insurance was one. Uh, I think photo shoots with a professional photographer to get some proper promo photos done. So all these perks. But the condition was we had to sign a contract in which we um, had to wrestle once a month for no fee. 
so it, a, a lot of the guys were like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not, not say a lot of the guys, some of the guys. Most were, of the guys who said they weren't doing it wound up signing the deals. Yeah, just sure. For yeah, yeah, for the amount of people Like you, said they, you said you weren't going to do it. And then you. Well, uh, yeah, probably because I was because everyone else said, oh, you're a mug if you take that. But I know what I spent on protein a month. You know, I know I didn't, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have professional photo shoots. So all this kind of stuff, I was, I, was, I just, I'm very much like I said earlier, I'm just logistics. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, well, I might wrestle once a month for nothing, um, but I'm saying, you, you know, I'm going to get hundred pounds, yep. two hundred pounds worth of stuff. Like and it was no brainer, really. And in, in addition to that, as you said uh, last week, if if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Someone so. else is going to do it. And Alex, ha- Alex, Alex suggested. Um, he had strong links with TNA, and, and he—I won't say who—but Alex, exact words to me. Well, I've just got so and so signed to TNA, which incidentally never happened. Um, you know, might have just been not might not be Alex's fault, but he said he said I've just got someone signed to TNA, um, and uh, so long story short, I go along and do the first show, I do a promo of we with with Ricky Hype. He was my manager, and I think it might be Lisa Fury was the manageress, maybe. Can you remember? Yeah, I think it was. Okay, yeah. so the three of us were an act. Oh, no, it was. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, Lisa so, Fury. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the three of us were an act. Uh, I interrupted and did a did a kind of scathing promo on Tony Scarlo, who's uh, one of the one of the wrestlers from the World of Sport days. Uh, had a hell of a match with uh, Dynamite Kid, if you can find that on YouTube. Tony Scarlo and Dynamite Kid. So anyway, um, that was that. did the first show. Then I got entered into the tournament. So I probably did about five or six shows for Alex over six months, for nothing, uh, one day of my life out of uh, out of a month for nothing, um, and ask me how many tubs of protein I got. How many tubs of protein did you get, Andy? Zero. How ask many, me uh, uh, promo photos yeah, I got. How many? Zero. Oh, okay. And what about that insurance? I signed a document to say I had insurance. But no one ever tried to claim, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So um, ask me how many discussions I have with TNA. How many discussions do you have with TNA? Zero. So, um, the, the, and, and this isn't really really a knock on uh, Alex, it really isn't. It's just a knock on just those promises. Uh, yeah, and you do this for me, I can do this for you. Except I did that for him, I got nothing in return. Yeah, and I think one, one big thing I'll say with Alex is um, he is, uh, and again, he's another 10 episodes himself, but um, he's someone who I believe always has the right intentions. So even with the FWA, okay. I, th- I believe he thought all of this stuff would happen and then obviously it just didn't happen. Um, and Alex is one for, he's uh, like almost in, we're very similar but very different in many ways. And, and one of them is like, I will have these ideas in my head but I won't put them out into the open. So I would be thinking, so for example, I'd be thinking like I'd like to do, if I wanted to do something similar, I would get the protein lined up, get the insurance lined up, duh, 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 get all that stuff lined up, and then get the boys. Sure. Right, because I, my mentality is like, people have had so many broken promises that, you know, they need to see it to believe it. They need to feel it to believe it, you know? Yeah. Um, but and especially Ali- with FWA, we were like, so So Alex, the early FWA, you know, Alex pulled through on something, like uh, FWA on the wrestling channel, for example, we were always paid very, very well compared to what you got paid um, other places. So the original FWA um, he had pulled a lot of good through. He had a lot of good credit, through. didn't he? I can remember him telling us about the idea for um, Uprising 3. I think he originally wanted to put it in um, Crystal Palace, which was not available. So that's when they did the Sky Dome, which even I um, I thought was a little bit overambitious. Um, but we believed in it. We all really believed in it. And I think probably we wanted to believe in it again. Yeah. 
yeah. was 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 probably what it was because again, like we said on episode one, I still had one foot um, in the old school who did nothing but mock it and say, "Oh, FWA that won't last. FWA this, FWA that." So when the FWA came back, that gave us that little bit glimmer of hope of like, "Oh, we could." We could go back to the way it used to be, you know, when we were on TV every week. I never knew whether anyone watched FWA TV, but I do know I had numerous people, and again, uh, just to reiterate, I'm not talking this happened to me regularly, but I'd have friends from school would call me or message me and say, oh, we've been watching the wrestling channel. We've seen you on FWA on the wrestling channel. So someone somewhere must have been watching the FWA, uh, watching the wrestling channel. Uh, so those sort of gave, gave everyone glimmers of hope uh, to, uh, to being part of something special. Uh, so, so those were my broken promises from that 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 FWA reincarnation, which and none of it came true, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, and so those are just a few broken promises. We, I mean, we've gone we've gone for quite a while, so we'll probably wrap it up now. Yes, um, okay. but I think that may well have uh, opened the door. Really, I think it's about time we we did some FWA talk. Okay, so I, I think next I think next week maybe we should yeah discuss some FWA. What do you reckon? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, we can talk. I can talk about the first time I met Alex, um, who came to me with this idea for this character. What Mark Sloan thought of the character, um, and sort of give actually some insight into how they worked together, but were actually polar opposites of each other uh, as to as to what they thought wrestling was and should be, or the way wrestling was headed as well. So yeah, we've got brilliant, brilliant, some brilliant stories there. Cool. So that that seems like a, a bit of an idea for next week. So if you if you've got any questions as well about the original FWA, um, ask them. Send them. Tweet us at a Quilden a Q U I L D A N or at Boy Simmons B O Y S I M M O N Z. So tweet us. Let us know. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please spread the word. Um, we're very overwhelmed every time we see the or see the uh, the, the listening figures, um, and they're just growing every week. So please continue to spread the word, um, whilst we can continue to have an excuse to take a walk down memory lane and reminisce about old times. Yeah, and hopefully next week neither of us will have this cold, so we'll be a little bit more coherent, and I feel a bit more of a stop feeling sorry better for thought ourselves. track. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Laters.